I'm Alex Schiffer, alongside Blair Kirkhoff. We're going to talk about Missouri's unbelievably damaging loss against Kentucky. Unimaginable, maybe even is a better word. Uh, we could probably get into a little bit of Mark Smith's eligibility for Mizzou and the potential of Drew Smith, and we can look ahead to Florida as well. Blair, how you doing? Good, Alex. What's going on? Not much, not much. Uh, you know, I woke up on Sunday, and I kind of needed him, and I was like, wait a minute, like, I just covered a loss last year. I believe they found a way to lose that game. Just an unbelievable Mizzou-like loss for the Tigers against Kentucky. Blowing a lead, giving up a last-second, un- well, technically an untimed touchdown to Kentucky to drop to 4-4. Four and four. Would have been very on the first win over a ranked team. Uh, you've been obviously covering college sports longer than me, so uh, what was going through your mind as you're watching Kentucky go on, uh, drive down the field with the last 30 seconds or so? Well, I, first of all, let's go back a little bit. I, I got the sinking feeling on the punt return um, for the touchdown, and even though Kentucky went for two and, and missed it, I just thought, man, that's how do you – how do you let a what a, what a horrible time for a special teams gap, and and it would make no mistake that was just poor coverage and um, I, I don't want to even give Kentucky great credit for the return it was just wide open for them and 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 I just thought oh how do you let that happen and then you know the way the second half was unfolding I'm thinking well at least the Tigers offense is due for you know, a couple of first downs, you know, put, get, get the, get the clock bleeding a little bit. Nope. Uh, when, when Missouri got it back, another three and out and, and then, uh, you know, disaster was not too far away. So I, uh, so watching the final seconds, the final uh, Kentucky drive, what, what did they end up going? Uh, 75 yards and how many, you know, seconds or whatever it was. Yeah, I think um, it was 40-something seconds, I want to say. One or a seven, I think I call Sawing. I recall Sawing. I mean, I mean how, how, how does that happen? How, how, does, how do they get to the shadow of the end zone? I mean, we, we're going to spend time talking about the final two snaps, but the, the, you know, the, the 10 or 12 snaps leading up to that, um, including Missouri's final three and out, are, uh, though, that's where the game was lost. Um, they should never have been in a position to have to argue about an official's call in the end zone and then um, and, and then the final snap of the game. That's that's just it should never ever have come to that. And I and I know that's that's what I was thinking about in the immediate aftermath. Is uh, the, I, I thought it, when I saw the the interference, I thought it was a bad call, the pass defensive pass interference. And then on the final play, it was it was a well well run, well executed touchdown pass, and you, you know you, you 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 tip your hat to Kentucky on that. But I, I was just you know, and I'm sure the coaches are breaking down film, and the players themselves looked looked at what happened uh, before those final two snaps, and uh, and to me that's where that's where the bad feeling should be, not not necessarily how the game ended, but. How it how it began to end for for the Tigers and how they ever put themselves in a position to let Kentucky in that game because as good as Kentucky's defense was in the second half with all those three and outs Missouri's defense was even better I mean it was just playing fantastic and 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 you and then you put it on the defense at the end of the game to to win it and and, and they couldn't get it done so um, 
it was a uh, you know whereas the South Carolina loss was jaw dropping and you know and and you know an almost um, you know bizarre in, in because of the weather delay and, and everything that happened the game was on the road it was a toss up kind of game anyway I think from a betting line standpoint Missouri was a touchdown favorite against Kentucky they were the better team for all but the final five minutes and then they let those final five minutes get away from them and. And it's a it, it, it's it's a gut punch loss that uh, I don't know I, I think if if there's a if there's an end to Barry Odom's career uh, that that sooner rather than later I think we'll look back on the Kentucky game as maybe the beginning of that. Yeah, I have a couple thoughts on it. Actually, to talk about rewinding further, uh, I think you could kind of see some of the problems from this game start at Purdue when I was with you, where Mizzou dominates the first half. The defense needs to get a stop, and they don't. And had they, Missouri gets the ball back to start the second half, and if they score both times, they run away with the game, and we don't see all the dramatics. The same thing happened against Purdue, uh, against, I'm sorry, South Carolina, where Mizzou was in control in the first half. They had a chance to score. Defense couldn't get a stop. The monsoon hits the third quarter. The whole dynamic of the game changes, and they end up losing. And, you know, Saturday to me, there was, I, I wrote in my story how a lot of this was a similar recipe, except the defense came through for them. I mean, they just needed a field goal in the second half to give them a little bit more breathing room. And they couldn't even get they, – they didn't even get in the red zone, really, in the second half. And against South Carolina and Purdue, obviously, they were, they were living back there. And, and even you look at the Georgia game, I kind of left the Alabama game out of this because it's just it, – it's Bama, but – Against Georgia, they just they it's just they can't get out of their own way. It seems like, and you know I think there's plenty of blame to go around, as you said. You know I mean, I don't think Derek Dooley really tried to do anything different, or even a trick play, or some different kind of formation, or get somebody else in the action to try and change the dynamic of the offense in the second half. Again, as you said, the defense was unbelievable. I mean, they held Benny Snell about 67 yards rushing. I thought a good day for the offense would have been if uh, the defense, if they held Snell to 80 yards rushing, 85-90, because he's averaging about 120-30 a game. I thought they played out unbelievable. They didn't give up a touchdown until the last play. And I just thought that Drew Locke was not very good. You know, there's been some Philip Rivers comparisons about him in the past couple weeks where he abuses the box score with a less caliber defense, but when a legit one he's faced with, he, he doesn't do as much. I thought right. he was decent in the first half. You know, I thought he didn't throw for any touchdowns, but the, the where they were on the field and what the defense was giving him, it made sense to run the ball. But I think Drew, I think this was a knock on Drew Locke's resume. I thought Barry Odom – and and we'll talk about the final two plays shortly, but I thought Barry Odom and, and Derek Dooley both didn't really do much to change the dynamic or try to do something to stimulate anything out of the offense in the second half. And as you said, I some people have said that South Carolina would be a game you point to at the beginning of the end for Barry. I think you can make a case still for South Carolina compared to this one, just because they, they had so many similar issues in both games, and they just they can't win close games, essentially, except for the Purdue game, it, it seems like is the common theme here. Well, this this was the game to offset South Carolina. When you, you hold yeah. off a you know, 12th-ranked Kentucky team, and 
that one was going to, you know, for, for your first conference win, beating Kentucky was going to uh, offset it, I guess is the best word. But, um, you know, it, it would have kept Missouri on a, on a nice path to, uh, you know, to a, a record that, that met a lot of people's preseason expectations. Um, and, and, and I, I don't know, I don't know if that's possible for, for the Tigers now that are, I think we're just looking at get get to get to bowl eligibility and and get the best bowl you can you can find. But I've got the drive charts in front of me here. Missouri's first four possessions go ten plays, ten plays, nine plays, ten plays for a total of about two hundred yards. Their next eight, and we know we know what happened starting in the third quarter. All of them three and outs. Um, a couple of you know a couple of them. Uh, and, and, and I was watching on TV. You were there. There were a couple of times when they were facing a third and one. And I thought, you know, maybe maybe you just, you know, you, you take the game by the throat right here. You you get a, um, you know, you, you run a little, uh, little uh, um, your, your best play, your best design play. And even though you've, you know, you've been stopping Kentucky the whole day, let's, Let's win the game by converting a you know a, a, a fourth and one, and um, I, I've I've seen it more often in college football this year where teams on, on their side of the field are, are are taking that risk. I know I know it sounds crazy and it's all hindsight being twenty twenty, but that offense was going absolutely nowhere in the second half. And and I'll tell you, Alex, the one the other thing that I um, you I'm sure you had a pretty good view of this from the press box. It, you know, as I was watching Locke. Um, uh, work in the second half. I didn't see many open receivers. I think Kentucky, first of all, did a did a great job of uh, of blanketing uh, the the receivers, putting pressure on Locke, and not giving him much of of uh, much to, uh, to to throw to. But that's on the receivers and the play calling too. I, I think you gotta you gotta run some you gotta run some plays to get receivers better you know better better looks and. Uh, uh, and, and the lack of a playmaker really was, was obvious to me in the second half for, for the Tigers. I agree. I thought something that was, you know, I, I talked about the play calling. I don't, the receivers, as you said, were pretty well covered in the second half, but why not try a, a sweep of some sorts? They did, a one, they did one play with the, um, I don't know if it was almost like we were debating what to call in the press box. They, some people called it a flea flicker, but it was like the double handoff and then throw back to Locke who found Crockett incomplete. Yeah. Um, yep. I there was an argument too as to whether or not that's definition of a flea flicker. It's kind of like a reverse. But anyway, um, I just thought that, as you said, that when the heart rate of the offense went down, Dooley didn't really do anything to resuscitate. And I I thought that there was a couple fourth downs that were short. That hey, why, you know, why not go for it? with the way the defense is playing. I mean, you need something to – you look at what the fourth down play did against Memphis the week before and how, how was the, the D play that changed the game. I yep. would have thought going for it on fourth down, one of those times it was fourth and two, fourth and three, fourth and one, why not? What do you have to lose right now? You have nothing going for you. And that, that didn't really happen. So I, I don't – I don't really know why they didn't do it, obviously. Derek Dooley said today he would have done some things differently for sure. But it, it's amazing how dependent the offense is on Emmanuel Hall. And 
what they look like with him versus without him. I mean, he he's he, literally he's the only guy they can rely on to make a play right now. It seems like, and he is it's looking like he's going to play on Saturday. That's going to be my story for today. Barry Odom seems to expect him to, but um, but it, it's not. It doesn't say a lot about your football team when you need. There's one guy you're really leaning on to kind of break a defense. Well, that's right. I mean, that's uh, he's he's having a nice season, and and I, I've enjoyed watching him play this year. But uh, and he was he he certainly has been missed. Uh, but but it really does speak to how limited the offense is if if you're if, if the if the Tigers are depending on him. To, to radically change things, especially against a Florida team that's been solid defensively and, um, and 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 still is playing for you know playing for higher stakes than the Tigers right now. So I I hope he's back. And he's fun to watch. He's um, you know he's certainly a good player. He's had a nice season, but um, but the, the problems I think run a little deeper than than uh, just getting a player back. Yeah, let's talk about those last two plays now. Nine seconds left. Barry puts five guys in the end zone to keep everything in front of them. What amazed me today, you know, I, I don't – getting a little off track here, but, you know, I asked Mizzou's fans after the game, what was your – you know, keep this level-headed, keep this PG, but what was your main takeaway from the game? And I was inspired by my buddies on the Rutgers beat doing the same thing when Rutgers lost to Kansas, and I thought that they were their insightful answers. And it just seems like fan support, what was remaining of it for Barry Odom, withered away on Saturday, and that they were saying he hasn't learned his lessons from South Carolina, and he's a defensive guy, but yet he makes a play call like that. And he doubled down today saying he would have called the same play twice. He doubled down on hmm. the third and two, uh, throwing it, overrunning it with Missouri's last drive on offense, and he doubled down. Yeah, which, with both which, of the... go ahead. I was going to say which which saved Kentucky a timeout right on the, uh, on yes. the incomplete pass. Yes, and, and which a timeout they were able to take after the sack, you know, on on Kentucky's last drive with, you know, with, without a timeout and and, um, and 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 Wilson gets sacked, you know, go back to. Uh, I forgot where I forgot who had the sack there. Was it? It was Therese Hall. Right? Therese Hall, the yeah, correct. Team. So Kentucky had their last time out. They that that took the clock down to nine seconds, and uh, they were able to get um, you know get a couple plays. Obviously, get two more plays off, and then the the untimed play. So uh, that's what that's the damage of that incomplete pass. Yeah, and the and so with nine seconds left, Therese Hall sacks. Uh, Kentucky's quarterback and Barry decides for they. I don't know what he was thinking on that because that's a reasonable play call for if there's four seconds left and it looks like they're going to get one shot in the end zone. But nine seconds is enough for two, and he he doubled down on it. Today. And what what blows my mind about it is just that clearly it wasn't the right call. That play allowed them to get in position to take a shot at the end zone. Who who's What's the what's the value in double down uh, doubling down on a play call that Derry clearly didn't work in your favor? I I was just amazed by his stubbornness today. Of I would do the same two things over again. Well, those two things that well, all three things are what lost you the game in in domino effect. The decision to throw right. on third and two, followed by 
And his reasoning on that was, well, they were going to use a timeout anyway. Well, why don't you let them use the timeout? They have one left. You know, someone from Louisville Radio was uh, burying him towards the uh, to, on Saturday night, and he kind of said, you know, Barry Odom sounded on Saturday like he doesn't understand how clocks work, um, <laughs> which I thought was a little funny. And I, I just I, I'm kind of stunned at him just kind of doubling down on. All of this, I would do it over again, even though very clearly that is the entire reason why he's sitting at 4-4 four and four with very little fan support left and really needing to go at least 3-1 and one probably in these last four games to feel safe about coming back next year. Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff, and if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State, and no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com. And it's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town. Just eight cents a day or two fifty a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at KansasCity.com slash sportspass. So let's go back. So the the the, the third and two incomplete pass uh, by by because it's an incomplete pass or it's not a completed pass for for short of the first down or running play. That saved Kentucky a timeout. So Kentucky starts its final drive. I believe they just had the one timeout left. But yeah, they start there that was, drive I think, 124 the, on the clock. 124, 128. Yeah. Yep, 124 on the clock. And, and that thing opens with a sack. I mean, they, they sack uh, – Trey Williams got a sack to open that drive. So they're back to the 12. They're back to the 12 with the, with the clock running. And then boom, boom, boom! All of a sudden, Terry Wilson, that couldn't, you know, throw it in the ocean from a boat, is is um, you know throwing first down passes, throwing first down passes against you know a soft, now a soft prevent type defense. Okay, they get to the they get to the twenty seven, and this is the play that you're talking about. After the sack, Terry, you know, Wilson is sacked. Reyes Hall, nice play, but Kentucky's got the timeout in its pocket, so they use it there. Now uh, nine seconds remain, and, and, and Kentucky has the ball on the 27. I'm thinking at this point they're going to have to throw it to the end zone twice. they got time for two snaps. Go ahead and just take two shots at the end zone. Maybe you'll get a pass interference um, and, and, and get lucky on this. But, no, I think and – I, and I didn't see – I guess I didn't see what Mark Stoops said about this, but – they go, you know, they they don't go for the jugular there. They 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 have a route along the sideline and and completed goes out of bounds to ten, you know, it gives them enough time for for another play because uh, Missouri took a chance on defense there. The chance failed. Of course, another sack there ends the game, but Missouri doesn't get the sack. It's a quick quick release. Ends up getting uh, the, the Kentucky down to the ten, and uh, time for one final play at the ten, and then. And then we know what happens after that. Uh, the the pass interference, which was just you know the more at the at the moment, at the moment that that play happened, I thought, wow, they threw the flag. Uh, I guess that that could have gone either way. The first replay I saw, 
no way that ball's going to be caught in bounds. I mean, there's just the, the pass was so far. It was a nice catch, but he was clearly out of bounds when he caught it. But then, okay, flag on AC. I, I, I guess you know. I guess that, that could be. Um, and then I see the other, you know, another angle replay, and just you know, just a bad call. Just, just a, you know, everything else is going wrong for Missouri at this point. So. That's the you know that's that's the capper uh, that 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 was just a poor call, but the fact that it came to that for Missouri that's you, you cannot let Barry Odom, Derek Dooley, and anyone else off the hook um, with that call. Uh, the, the, that game was lost before then, uh, but I, I got to say it, it was a bad call. Yeah, with going back to the five in the end zone. I, I understand the logic of having a few guys in the end zone, but maybe drop three in the end zone and keep two guys in front of you to prevent a gain from that. You know, that I think it was 25 yards or might have even been a little more that the guy went for. I just don't understand why you need five with that much time left. And then I agree. I thought the P.I. call was horrible. You know, Barry Odom did not. He was asked what uh, the SEC said about the um, – the call he said he hasn't gotten feedback and he he didn't really i I thought again maybe not stubbornness this time but i thought he would have had a good chance to defend demarcus ac today and he just says i wouldn't do anything different on that i I thought his technique was fine but i i would have been a little more no they that was a bad call and and a little more vocal on that because i again I, i just think perception wise he's just not doing himself any favors but I agree that it was a bad PI call, um, and it, it amazes me that it, that it, as you said, it came to that, and and that's why I don't think, I think from a from our perspective, even in South Carolina, just Missouri was playing too well to let that happen and get to that situation. So, yeah, it, yeah. It's but just, again, go ahead. That whole drive. If you put that drive on a reel and just watched um, you know, Terry Wilson just pick apart Missouri after he had, had been no factor, really, in the game, no factor at all, um, it, it was just to see him pick apart Missouri in that last drive, that's, you know, you've got to, you know, you've got to question what Missouri was doing defensively, and uh, and, and, and here's the, you know, Here's the, the the head coach who's the you know the, the defensive minded head coach the guy who's supposed to know defense and how how Kentucky was able to fly down the field and um, and, and put itself in a position to win that game is um, it's on him it, it it absolutely is on Barry Odom transition for the rest of the season they have Florida number thirteen on Saturday my first trip to Gainesville. Um, you know, I was looking at oh, Florida. The, I, I was looking at Florida the other day, and the thing that I can't really understand about them—I've only watched them a little bit this season—but they seem like a solid team. But there's just nothing that they really stand out about nationally. You know, you look at their—they have good tailbacks, they have a good quarterback, they have a good defensive line, but none of those guys are all Americans or ready-made NFL first-round picks. And you know, I was looking—they're like in the 50s in total offense and total de- and I think in the 30s in total defense. Uh, their passing defense is 12th in the nation. That's the best stat I could find for them in terms of a big-picture idea. So 
it seems like they're a good team, obviously, but there's not one thing that they do particularly well or have one, you know, Memphis and Kentucky were known for having good running backs and a good uh, ground game. It, it seems like Florida is just this solid team that they can hurt you a little bit of, uh, a few different ways, but there's not, it's not like they have a knockout punch by any means. No, you're right. They, they don't. Um, but what they do have is a, is a, is a terrific head coach in Dan Mullen who obviously got it done at, uh, at Mississippi state. And now he's, uh, you know, getting it done pretty quickly at Florida. Uh, they're, they're, they're ahead of schedule. I think it was, it was to um, Kentucky's great advantage to play Florida when it did, which was the I think the second game of the season for for both teams, and uh, and Kentucky beat them pretty good in the swamp, by the way. And, uh, and since then, uh, Florida has just kind of steadily improved. The eye opener, of course, the, the beating, um, the beating uh, LSU um, in, in, in again in Gainesville uh, was. They're obviously their their most impressive win. Uh, they got handled by by Georgia last week. Close game that got away toward the end. But uh, but I, you know, when I was sizing up Missouri's season, uh, I, I take into account you know the the tenure of coaches, and I thought, okay, Florida with a first year coach, it's going to take a little time to get the you know to get the transition going, and uh, let's let's call that. Uh, you know, a Missouri lean at, at the time. And now uh, that's, you know, wh- whatever we think about co- the, the advantage of coaching experience, um, may- it, maybe it was a miscalculation on my part because Dan Mullen has, like I said, succeeded in the conference at another school. But, um, but he's, got, he's got the Gators up and going. And, uh, uh, and, and so they're, you know, they, they've, had, um, they've lost the two contenders in the East, in Georgia and Kentucky, but that's it. Um, to, to beat Mississippi State and LSU, those really nice wins for him. He's on his way to having a really nice first season. And I imagine people uh, who, who who pull for the Gators are pretty happy with the, with their coach right now. And um, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. But I I, I don't know. I can't imagine Missouri goes into this game with a great frame of mind. You know, it's one thing to come off the South Carolina loss and be angry and uh, and motivated, but uh, but you know, then they rented what that was. That Alabama was next, right? And then, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but now, but now I just think it's you're, you're, after losing the second time in ridiculous fashion. I think maybe you're you're a little bewildered, and you just wonder what you have to do. You make you make all the plays for 35 minutes, or you seemingly make all the the right moves for 35 minutes, and feel like you got the game in hand, and uh, and and then all of a sudden you don't. Uh, I, I just wonder about the the Tigers' frame of mind going into this one. I, I agree. You know, they've said how they've moved on to Florida, but I, I think I think you're crazy if you don't think that the Kentucky game has lingering effects on them. I really don't know. You know, before the season started, I remember telling some people at SEC Media Days, Florida and Kentucky were the two teams I really want to watch the most before I kind of made a decision maker on them as to where Missouri stands in those games. Obviously, both have been way better than we were expecting. It's a weird game for me to predict because, again, as you said, I Florida isn't a team that you know. Well, if you stop to run, you win, or if you uh, if you take out their top two receivers and, and make them beat you on the ground, you win, or those kinds of things. It, it just it, it's a very tough game for me to predict. And I think if Emmanuel Hall is a go at 100, percent I think that's a 
gigantic boost for the offense. I think it's good for morale where you're coming off a tough loss and you have your best weapon on offense coming back and hoping to give you something like he did at the Euro, at the beginning of the season. He looked like an All-American, I thought, through that Purdue game. Um, yeah. And I think that he could maybe make things interesting for them. I think for Barry Odom's sake, I think they need to play well on Saturday. If they go out and get the doors blown off them, then they're sitting at four and five with three left. Yeah, I, I think out of all their games remaining, I think Arkansas is the one that I feel most comfortable predicting a win because they just look awful this year. Chad Morris has a very big rebuild on his hands there. And then Tennessee and Vanderbilt were two games I thought were also wins. Vanderbilt reminds me a lot of Mizzou where – you know, you watch them against Notre Dame and you think, man, you know, maybe they can go and kind of be a dark horse this season, silently finishing, you know, eight and four, seven and five. They're kind of around 500 this year and they've looked great sometimes and they've looked really bad sometimes. So I don't really know what to make of that game for Missouri. And now, you know, Tennessee, I think that's another one where Missouri can go win and win. But I don't think after Saturday, Tennessee is going to be intimidated by Missouri. By any means, if, if Missouri goes and beats Kentucky or Florida, maybe Tennessee uh, thinks they could have their hands full a little bit. But I, I just I I think six and six for Barry Odom is is the gray area. Five and seven will likely get him fired. Seven and five or eight and four where he'll stay. Uh, maybe a small contract extension at eight four, but it, it's I feel like it's very much going to be a week to week thing the rest of the season with how this team does and where to really put them in terms of a bowl game and, and with Odom's job security. You know, I don't think, I don't think Jim Sturk, the athletic director went into this season thinking he would, you know, he would be thinking about making a coaching change after this year. It just, it seemed to set up nicely for Missouri with when, when Drew Locke decided to come back and uh, there seemed to be enough pieces around them to feel good about uh, where, where the program was this year uh, and, and maybe get a, an eight or a nine win season in one of those nicer SEC bowl games out of it. Uh, maybe, maybe, you know, contend for the East, but, um, but now, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I like you look at the, the remaining four games and wonder, um, I, I don't know what the, some, you know, some of these outlets that have percentage chances of winning these, I don't know where Missouri stacks up. I would think at this moment, They'd be favored in those final three games, maybe a toss-up with Tennessee, but favored at home with Vandy and Arkansas, certainly an underdog, as we know, to, to Florida this week. So uh, I'm, I'm with you in that. I, I think seven and five may be the best we can, that, that Missouri can do. And, uh, and, and that'll, you know, if that's the case, that means they will have ended on a three-game winning streak. They might be in a, you know, a deep, get a nice matchup in a bowl game, and people will feel better about, uh, you know, about Drew Locke's final season. But but in you know in this moment this week with um, you know, right after Kentucky and, and before a daunting trip to Florida it, it's just not a good vibe right now and um, and it just um, you know that that's what that's what that kind of loss will do it'll get you talking about uh, coaching security and you know who might be interested in the Missouri job and having all the kind of conversations that um, that, that if you're an athletic director you don't want to be having or hearing other people have, um, you know, before the, the, the calendar even turns to November. I agree with all that. You know, I, I checked quickly at Media Day today to see what the bowl projections were, and Jerry Palm had them in the Tax Slayer Bowl against Wisconsin. And then nice. I forget, yeah, and, and ESPN had them 
One projection had them back in the Texas Bowl against Texas Tech, and the other one had them in the Outback Bowl. Um, I forget who that was for. And then I saw one more that had them in the Music City Bowl. So all those bowl games, you really, you know, that six and six bowl games are, you know, Independence Bowl, Birmingham. I, I, the Outback Bowl almost made me think for them to make the Outback Bowl, they need a couple things to go their way and finish eight and four. I mean, if they were to wind up in the Outback Bowl, you get a New Year's Day bowl game given that they should have had 10 wins. That's, that's ridiculous if they were to finish that way. But it just seems like from the national perspective that people are pretty optimistic about them getting a seven or even eight. Well, there's, there's also, think about this, and the guys who do the projections that I know, I mean, they're, they, they've been doing it for a while, and they understand that there is a, uh, there's value. There's a couple things going on there. One is, you know, the, if the, the SC, the, these bowl games don't want the same teams in them for two or three years in a row, so you get a little bit of shuffling yeah. that way. But also, Missouri has an attraction in their quarterback. And if and if Drew Locke's going to, you know, continue to be projected as a, you know, as a first-round draft pick or an early-round draft pick, that's that's a that's a ticket-selling commodity uh, that uh, that bowls can use in their communities where they really need to sell tickets. You know, a bowl game. You know they're they're going to sell X number of thousands of tickets to each of the participating teams, but they really want to be able to sell the game locally. And Missouri has a draw this year in Drew Locke. So, so I think when when you see projections for Missouri, it may end up being like one bowl slot higher than maybe their record is because of Drew Locke. And um, it, it's a possibility. I, I just um, I, I don't see him going back to the Texas Bowl. It, it's happened. I mean, teams that go to bowl games. This, same place the you know back to back years, but bowls try to avoid that. And so as you're you know as you, as you're you know, thinking about where Missouri might end up, assuming they get bowl eligible, that's that's a yeah, fact. There is a bit uh, that you want to consider. Yeah, there is a business side to it. I uh, I don't want to make yep. this too much of a hypothetical, but you know everyone that's that said to me about how Barry could go this season. Uh, a couple thoughts on that. You know, the SEC had a ton of coaching turnover last year between Dan Mullen switching schools. Um, Tennessee made a new hire, obviously. You know, Texas A&M, there, Arkansas, there was a ton of turnover. So Missouri would be one of the more lucrative jobs open. They do have the south end zone renovations to sell. I'm very hard-pressed to find, you know, I don't think Missouri could hire a, a Power 5 sitting head coach to their job, uh, to the get the job if they were to fire Barry. And the only two names that I could think of that, that have some sense behind them is Neil Brown of Troy, young guy, has, has won some big games early in his career on the road, played at Kentucky, was a coordinator at Kentucky, knows the SEC, and then Charlie Strong, who I, I think, I don't even know if he would take this job. You know, you think about everything that happened to him at Texas, and there were some racial implications there, too. I don't know if he would want to come to a situation like Missouri, given you know what happened in 2015. But I, I'm just you know you look at the AP rankings. There's not like a Matt Campbell Toledo team that's sitting in the 20s that you look at their coach and say he's going to be up for a big job soon. I'm just kind of hard pressed to to say if Mizzou fires Barry, where do they go? And you know some of the guys I mentioned, I don't even think they would stick it out in Missouri that long. I think that they might try to get a better job too. I'm just curious what you thought of my two names and if there's anyone that would even that, – that's a natural fit when you think of if they were to go that route. 
Well, um, those are two names that have been um, that you hear associated with some other schools uh, that are that that have prospective openings. Another one in that realm is um, uh, Seth Luttrell of of North Texas. He is, um, you know, he's going to uh, he's going to be. I think you've got him at seven and two this year. He's a hot name. Um, I, I I think this will be his last year at that school. He's seen as a you know, he, he's seen as a real up and comer. Um, you know, the I think the one thing you, you don't want is um, uh, the the idea that uh, there's instability with with a team that's that's going to be, you know, out of starting over is not the right word, but in something of a transition at quarterback for next year. I know they had a prospective quarterback on the sideline on on Saturday for the Kentucky game and. Um, and I'd love to see him end up at Missouri, but, uh, but you wonder if, if, uh, if you lose the opportunity for that, if, um, you know, if, if there's a coaching change made now on the other side, the SEC is the most unforgiving conference when it comes to, when it comes to coaches, they, this league will fire a coach if it's, if it's in a, you know, a couple of years of bowl games and doesn't like, you know, uh, it's, it's a, it's a tough, tough league and you better, you know, you better, uh, thrive in this, depending on what your definition of thrive and what your ambition is. And I think this is a year right now you, you could say that Missouri's disappointing, and the, the South Carolina, the Kentucky losses have disappointed to the to the point where um, it's fallen below expectations. There's a chance to rally and get it back, but um, SEC teams have made coaching changes in situations like the one Missouri po- is possibly facing this year. Um, but again instability unless there's a unless there is a guy who is instant credibility less miles or somebody like that um you do you you know you you basically start over and you're starting over it puts you right at the bottom and uh and it's tough to it it is an unforgiving conference and um and, and you don't want to be anywhere near the bottom I agree. Before we predict our scores for the week uh quick basketball news Friday night we find out that Mark Smith from the uh, the Illinois transfer is immediately eligible. It's the second time Conzo's dropped Friday night news on us. I have to have a talk with them. Yeah. You know, when when they landed that kid Christian Guest, all the beat writers were out exploring Purdue together. We all kind of made a pact that we weren't going to write until the morning, um, because we we're all like, "Come on, Conzo!" Like 11 a 11 p.m. really. And now we find <laughs> out uh, we find out around eight nine o'clock that. Smith is eligible. To me, the biggest news out of this is just that it's a, it's another body Conzo has. I mean, with KJ Santos injured and Jonte Porter out for the year, they were looking at nine scholarship guys right now. So to just get back to ten until KJ gets healthy, and I, I think you know Jonte's not the type of player as we said that you replace with one guy, but I do think that Smith kind of helps alleviate some of the scoring and the passing issues they had from Jonte's injury. Yeah, I mean, what 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 are the other options at guard? I mean, for for in terms of exper- players with experience after uh, just you know, Jordan Geis, really, yeah. So so after Jordan Geis, that's at least you've got you know you've got an experienced body there. And um, what did he average? About six points at uh, at, at Illinois as a freshman. Yeah, um, six and four. It, it was good. Okay, so th- look, this is this is really good news for Missouri. Uh, I was a little surprised to see it, but uh, but but look, they got a break from the NCAA. 
on this Smith, I don't know about the other Smith, but on this Smith, they got a break, and uh, uh, it was I was happy to see that. Yeah, you know, I don't know what it does to change the the perception of the season. You know, as I've told a lot of people, I really think that this is a team that next Tuesday when we see them on election night and really through the non-con, I think it's going to really change by the week as to what we think of them. I mean, I think some weeks, if they go up to Iowa State and beat Iowa State, I think, well, maybe, okay, they, they could look good for the NIT. I, I just think it's very, very early to kind of talk about them back in the tournament picture, even getting him, because I think Jeremiah Tillman has to stay on the floor, Torrance Watson, everyone kind of has to pick up the load. As for Drew Smith, you know, there was a column written the other day about Evansville seeming to be the holdup. People are, you know, I saw Mizzou fans tweet at the Evansville AD, and I think the university president got a couple of those. Evansville's just doing its thing, you know. I mean, I don't think that this is that unique of a situation by any means. I mean, the kid was going to sit out for a year, and, and Evansville seems to be holding him to that. I understand that the coach left, and he wouldn't have left if, if they didn't fire him, but the NCAA, it's, it's honestly, I just kind of shrug with some of these cases now because you see a ton of other kids that have gotten immediately eligible because of this. I, I think that the NCAA would kind of get some people off its back if they just kind of made it a universal thing or really eliminate a lot of the gray area with all this instead of making it a case-by-case basis. But if Missouri got him eligible, I think that they it'd be great for them to make the NIT. Um, I think we'd have to get an answer by the end of this week as to whether or not they uh, they changed course on that. I think he's appealing. But, I, I mean, I, as you said, you know, I, I don't know how good of a shot he has. I was, I was already shocked by Mark Smith. And, you know, Evansville's I, – I don't, I don't really think that they deserve this whole – I don't even know what to call it with the fans. I guess just fan attack of, of look what you're doing to the kid. You know, this, this happens a lot. Yeah, it it uh, well, it's the rule, and and it you basically need a waiver to the rule to uh, to to grant the exception. So, um, yeah, they 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 got one with 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 uh, with Mark Smith, and now they're waiting on Drew Smith, and and seeing if that that's possible. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's the the college uh, the college eligibility world has changed uh, so dramatically with. You know, graduate transfers being immediately immediately eligible, and uh, uh, college basketball has such a transfer culture now. Um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure the statement that Evansville is trying to make here. I'm I tend to I, I tend to come down in favor of the the you know the player, the athlete in, in this in these occasions. Just um, you know, let let the, let a player play. I and mean, we've already you know as we're seeing in um, you know with Elsewhere in college basketball, there's, um, you know, there, there's so much stuff that's happening that's not in, not in a good way for college basketball these days. And um, if you've got a chance to um, to favor the athlete, and, uh, uh, and and in this case by by eliminating the the, the transfer sit out year, which I've never fully understood anyway, but uh, if you've got a chance to favor the athlete, favor the athlete. Don't you know? Don't don't hold it. Don't hold up his progress or make it make it tough for him. Let him um, let him let him play. So I, I I I've got to admit I don't know all the ins and outs here, and I, I don't know if that's if, if that's what's happening. If Evansville is 
you know, is, is the is the culprit here, or, or is because they're balking? I don't know that, but um, uh, but it'd be neat to see Drew Smith in a Mizzou uniform, and boy, the Tigers could really use him as well. Um, I, I, you know, I saw his numbers at Evansville. I, this guy looks like he could play and uh, and would be an immediate contributor to the Tigers. He averaged, I think, two steals per game, shot about 50% from three, 13 points a game. Yeah, I think I think this team could use some of that. Yep. Um, real quick, uh, just your prediction on a score for Saturday. Well, I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I thought Missouri was going to beat South Carolina and Kentucky. Um, in fact, I don't know if I picked Missouri to lose this year except for – or thought Missouri was going to lose a game beforehand except Georgia and Alabama. So – uh, but I, I don't think I, I just don't see it this week. I, I got um, I got the Tigers hanging in there, but uh, but falling thirty to twenty three to the uh, to the Gators in the swamp. Okay, I'm not too far off from you. I, I think they keep it interesting. I think they don't look checked out for sure. But yeah, until until I until they give me reason to, I won't I won't pick them yet. Um, I will leave a caveat that I wouldn't be stunned if they beat Florida because of the reasons we discussed, but I'd be pretty surprised. I'm going to go Florida 35, uh, Missouri 27. So Vegas has Florida by six and a half, so I'm a little on the over there, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, it's it's been a, you know, like I said, I think Florida, Florida is ahead of schedule, and Missouri's a little behind schedule. And maybe, you know, there's nothing – it's not mission impossible like like Alabama, but it's Michigan. It's mission difficult for for the Tigers this week. It's a good way to classify it. All right, Blair. I'll be all by myself in Gainesville. Um, you guys have the Browns the following day at noon in Cleveland. So pretty tough, pretty tough uh, scheduling on the Chiefs to make it work with Mizzou. I got to talk to Andy Reid about that. I thought he left Mizzou. We're used to coach, but uh, but yeah, you should have an interesting Sunday given everything that just happened in Cleveland, and uh, we'll see what happens to me on Saturday. I will see you next week, I guess, in some capacity. Sounds good, Chip. Take care, man.